Welcome to The Money Huddle, a podcast that explores financial topics for families and small business owners. Hosted by Michael Baker and Ross Marinell. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ross or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and may not reflect the opinions of Planners Alliance. The podcast recording is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Planners Alliance may maintain positions and securities discussed on the program. Welcome back to the Money Huddle. Ross, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing wonderful. How are you today, Michael? Doing awesome. So I hear there is a very newly minted, is it millionaire or billionaire? Uh, multi-millionaire. Multi-millionaire. Uh, a cat? Tell That's me about right. it. That's right. So this past week, the uh, fashion world lost an icon, uh, Carl, Lagerfeld, Carl Lagerfeld, designer for Chanel and other... Um, wonderful places uh passed <laughs> away like, uh, who, who is this guy i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh but what was i thought i thought fascinating um he had amassed somewhere between 195 million and 300 million dollars in in net worth right which has been passed into his estate and the heiress of his estate is his beloved cat Shupet. his cat Shupet. so apparently because he's was German, this intentional i uh, yeah this okay. was planned and apparently uh this is legal um in germany i'm not familiar with the german uh estate plan laws but right. it sounds like this is this is going to happen so i thought this would be an interesting time to just talk a little bit about inheritance and what that means so i'm i'm guessing i'm guessing he left it in like a trust and the beneficiary of the trust is the cat listen this this cat uh, or help me out ha- has had a wonderful life it it eats on fine di- the fine silverware the finest fine china. the finest china uh, but is going to get to continue that wonderful lifestyle. existence and lifestyle, uh, even though Carl uh, Lagerfeld uh, has passed away. Does does the cat have a guardian? Did they name a guardian? Because that might <laughs> be know. a pretty good job so many, for the guardian. I have so many questions. <laughs> Who's gonna? Who else? The cat manages the estate. I don't know. There, there's there's going to be have to be a trustee involved. Uh, there there's got to. I mean, who's going to make sure that Chupet like? Because I don't think she can go. It's a she, right? Is it a she cat? Uh, we don't know. I, I don't know. There's so many, so many questions. Uh, but apparently, Chupet is the the world's newest multimillionaire, and um, she needs help because there's going to have to be people, you know, help her do simple things like um, I don't know, get money out of an account and buy her cat food. We, we've <laughs> seen some pretty wacky estate issues recently with some oh, of the question, famous no um, artists and musicians that have passed away. This one for me took the cake. Yeah. And I thought though it was interesting because we do come across quite often folks that are receiving a little less inheritance than maybe $195 million, but ultimately a, tad bit less. Uh, a very meaningful inheritance for their family. And some of the uh, kind of basic guidelines that we usually uh, suggest to folks when they're right. receiving inheritance assets. And so, um, one of those, Michael, is we obviously want to know what type of asset we're inheriting. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the things that happens for a lot of folks sometimes is is when they do inherit money. Well, the first thing, you know, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm sure we could find a study. I suspect that the majority of inheritance money does not last very long. Right? Well, people we, tend to blow through that, right? In fact, actually, you know, it was interesting. Uh, one of the articles I was going to talk to, talk about today was this article that was written by uh, a, 
yeah, it was in Harper's Bazaar, and it was talking about, um, we'll get to it in a minute, but it was talking about getting help, financial help from your parents and why, you know, people should be more open about what that is. The reasoning behind it is pretty, pretty lame, but, um, the idea was that, you know, people, a lot of people get help from their parents. And I think that there, there was a quote in there that said that the average, you know, and of course there's, you know, they're breaking it down by race, but I think they said like the, 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 the average inheritance for, um, white families was around a hundred and hundred thousand dollars. Um, and then for, for African-American families, it was around $40,000 and they were, they were illustrating like a wealth gap effect there. But, um, you know, I think that one of the first things is, is when people inherit money is there's a lot of, you know, our, it, it puts gasoline on bad financial habits, right? You know, we get tempted to go and do a lot of things that may not be the best thing simply because, oh, we have this newfound wealth. Let's go do X, Y, and Z. It's a shock to the financial system if, if you're not used, you know, if you're, if it's a, a an inheritance amount that's more than what you may be comfortable managing or have been used to managing, and then you have this infusion of inheritance money, it can find a quick to-do list because there may be a pecking order of things that you you prioritize as a family. It could be paying down student loan debt. It could be paying off auto loans. It could be taking, um, you know, you know, hopefully infusing some money into some savings accounts. But it can definitely find its way uh, out of the the checking account that it's received in pretty quickly. Oh, no question. So I think you know, like you said at the very beginning, when you if you do inherit money. You know, one of the few things, first of all, there's, there's rules that you have to be aware of, you know, especially if you inherit something uh, like an IRA or a 401k or qualified retirement money, you need to know and understand the rules of how that inheritance is going to work. Um, believe it or not, there are people out there that, that don't realize that, that you have to pay taxes on stuff like that. Um, so there's also, if you inherit property or you, you inherit a real asset, um, you need to know, um, how the basis rules work. Like if you're going to get a step up in the basis on, you know, on the tax value, um, or if your mom and dad did some nifty planning where you may not get a, um, get a step up in basis. I mean, we've seen uh, in the past, we've seen cases where there's been trusts that have done and the assets inside of the trust don't necessarily qualify for a step up in basis because of some of the planning that the parents did. So it's important to know the rules. Um, I like what I typically like to say, and that is, you know, one of the things that we find a lot of times in people's lives is when there's uh, a turning point, hence part of the name of our company, mm-hmm. when there's a, when there's a life change, uh, something like marriage, new kids, uh, losing a spouse, getting a second marriage, buying a home, moving, any of these big life events typically are a great time to reevaluate your finances and what you're doing. So I would definitely say inheriting money or knowing you're going to inherit some money is a, is a triggering event to reach out to a qualified, you know, financial professional and say, Hey, I'm about to inherit some money. I really don't want to mess this up. Can you give me some advice on what I should do? Right. And our, and our pecking order of course is first understand what the asset is that you're inheriting. So if it is a like you said, a tax deferred, a, a, a traditional IRA, a traditional 401k um, from a non-spouse. So if you're inheriting that, let's say from a parent who passed mm-hmm. away, right, and that's becomes a quote unquote that's a, becomes a beneficiary IRA. You, you you need to start taking required minimum distributions. So that's an yeah. important thing to get counseling on because um, if you if you don't start 
um, distributing that properly, there could be tax consequences down the road. Right. You know, if you're receiving uh, a non-retirement account, so something that's after tax, like you said, that mm-hmm. may qualify for a step-up cost basis, which could greatly reduce uh, some capital gains taxes and income taxes that you might owe. That could be a source of helping uh, get some of those maybe pressing bills or expenses paid. Sure. Um, versus using a tax deferred asset. So those are some some things to point out. I also wanted to talk just a little bit on this subject of inheriting annuities because I think more people down the road are going to be doing that. Possibly, yeah. And if it is a qualified annuity, so an IRA, so a, a traditional IRA, it's going to follow the same rules as inheriting. An IRA is an IRA. IRA is an IRA. But if it is an, uh, a non-qualified annuity, then there are some unique tax circumstances oh, yeah. to that. And before you um, just pull the trigger and say, hey, I want to receive this, um, just you know, send it to my checking account, be careful to understand what your cost basis is and what the gain is. Again, yeah. So I, I go back to like the very, you know, that, that triggering event, knowing that you're going to inherit some money, um, just about just about everything that is, you know, got some type of account, um, you, you know, with, with a custodian, be it an IRA, be it non-qualified money, be it an annuity contract, be it life insurance, just about everything is going to require paperwork before you pass go on that, get some help because you could literally shoot yourself in the foot and cost yourself thousands. Real quick story on that. Um, several years ago, um, before this lady started working with me, uh, she can't, she called me and said, Hey, you know, I lost my husband. I want to come in and speak with you. But before she did that, she had actually rolled out the pension, the husband's pension. She asked that they, they contacted her and she, she had them send her the check. So she took a pension, okay. which would be qualified retirement dollars, a couple hundred thousand dollars and just took the check. Like took a check of that. Right. So that immediately became taxable and she paid through the teeth wow. on that. So these are the kind of things we want to avoid. That's why it's important to right. you know reach out to and, a financial pro. And so before, and one of the overarching um, guidelines we have is just take a deep breath Yeah. because it is an emotional time. It's a unique financial circumstance. Just take a deep breath and, and, well, if you're shoe pet, you it could do. be a, a so wonderful that was kind of what I was going to say. Listen, shoe pet, don't make any knee-jerk decisions. Let's not go overboard Can here. Can we go no, you got a shoe lot pet's of... family office? Like, we'll do, we'll do, we'll work. I'll make sure she gets the best, the best, uh, what's it, cat food, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so I saw another article uh, in Bloomberg recently, um, came out about, uh, you know, a couple days ago, and it said that millennials, it says millennials are facing one trillion in debt says student loans uh obviously make up the majority of the the debt for 19 to 29 year olds but what i thought was crazy was um it says since 2009 so we tend to think you know once you go to college you get out of school you find a job um you know the goal or the idea is you want to eventually you know find a home start you know and we know that people rent and do things but what was interesting to me was it says since 2009 mortgage debt was actually only up 3.2%, but student loan debt had increased 102%. So, you know, your run-of-the-mill mortgage debt has only increased by 3.2%, but since 2009, student loan debt has increased by 102%. So I think this is a little, this is what I'm a little um, nervous about. Obviously, we know the student loan debt is there. The cost of college has been exploding over the last 15 years. 
What's scary is the mortgage debt hasn't kicked in yet. But at some point, as these um, you know, younger generation gets married, starts to have a family, is that mortgage debt going to come in and really become even more burdensome? Right. Yeah. The, 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 the mortgage debt hasn't really kicked in yet for a lot of these folks because they're still they may be trying to live um, as cheaply as possible. Right. Finding rent op- options right. versus just going and putting a big down payment on a home and, and getting in over their head on mortgage debt. But is that is that still coming on the horizon? Well, I, th- I think so. I mean, I think that's what most most folks generally, you know, is typically the life path is, you, you know, you go to you go to college um, graduate school. If you, if you don't find your, you know, future spouse in college, um, you, you hopefully, hopefully are searching for that one person, you know, um, but you get married. And then, you know, when you start a family, unless you live in a large metropolitan area, a lot of people want to live in a home. They don't want to live in an apartment, especially don't want to raise kids in an apartment, you know, unless that's what you have to do. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think that's the natural progression. A lot of people want to own property, and so the way you know typically do that is you take on a mortgage. But what was interesting, it says here that you know obviously, and this is kind of intuitive, but it's you know basically the article is talking about how um, the the amount of debt is is really weighing on the spending for that cohort. Like they can't obviously they can't spend as much money right. because they are saddled with debt, and it's and it's impacting um, you know the the their ability to go out and get these mortgages because they're you know, they're, they're so leveraged and at least right now, you know, they haven't relaxed the lending standards so much that, you know, they, they're just allowing people to take on uh, mortgages like they were pre-financial crisis, where if you could fog a mirror and you, you know, and you had a pulse, you could get, you could get a loan. Right. Getting a mortgage loan has gotten a, a more challenging for sure uh, since the mid 2000s. And, uh, well, it's interesting to see what's going to happen. I know you had a a stat too, that some of the student loan debt, the delinquency rates are starting to pick up too. Yes. So in the same, on the same vein, um, you know, the, the total student outstanding student loan debt is probably is total outstanding student loan debt is probably around 1.5 trillion, but the, there's now data coming in that says about 166 billion of that debt, um, is now, 90 days uh, delinquent, which means, you know, that they haven't been, haven't been paying um, or have not been able to pay. And, and there, there was an article by Zero Hedge talking about this as well. Let me see the, the actual title. It says, yeah, $166 billion in student loan debt is now officially delinquent. And that's according to um, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's latest quarterly household debt report. So, um, which is a little over 11% of the debt. So just think right. one in 10. One in 10 is over 90 days delinquent on student loan debt. Exactly. And, you know, well, if you you have to factor in that, uh, I would say the the majority of these student loans are, are federally backed loans, right? You know, a good portion of them are backed up. And so um, are we possibly going to a tipping point where there's going to have to be some type of government intervention or, or bailout? Because I think you know, at least uh, politically, we're starting to see some of that conversation bubble to the surface about how punitive some of these student loans are. And we've seen we've seen some of the interest rates that these loans charge people. I think this is something that needs to be touched on a little bit, because if we just lump student loan debt together, I think most of our listeners might think, well, isn't that pretty affordable? Isn't a student loan a pretty low interest? Um, 
debt, and the reality is some some are right. The federal student loan programs are actually right. pretty reasonable. They're they still may be above some of the mortgage debts rates that are out there, but it's reasonable. You're in the four and a half to five percent range. The challenge is you get some of these private student loan debts that will allow you to borrow more money in some cases. We have seen student loan debts in the double digits. So you think about a 24-year-old recent graduate who has thirty or $40,000 in student loan debt at 10 or 11%. Right. It's a burden. It's crazy. It's a burden. And as we know, it's near impossible to discharge from bankruptcy, to be forgiven from this loan. Oh, so no. ultimately, you're... At some point, stuck with someone's it. going to pay the piper. Right. And, and so that that's, I think, a real concern here. And, and I'm just noting here in this article um, with Zero Hedge, it says that uh, echoing back what they first said in 2012, Bloomberg notes the total amount in arrears, I'm guessing these student loans in arrears, total amount in arrears is twice the amount that the U.S. Treasury paid to bail out the auto industry during the last recession. So we're talking about some big numbers. It's, oh, that's it's kind of that, scary. That's scary. And you know, when we, when we had the, uh, obviously the great financial crisis, 08, 09, a lot of emphasis was put on bailing out the banks, not necessarily the homeowners, right. That were underwater right. on their loans. I hope whatever the resolution is that we're not bailing out student loan, uh, carriers versus helping these young. People. Hopefully we help the people. Hopefully we help not, the people. Not the people who made bad nah, loans. That's right. Yeah. Well, um, I think, you know, my take on it is this, what I would really like to see, um, I would like to see everybody come to the table on this because I've, I've seen where there's been, there's been some talk about employers offering, you know, as an incentive to come and work there, like that the employer will help pay off the student loan. You know, there's right. a lot of programs. I know there's programs that offer, loan forgiveness if you go and work in you know like like maybe then you know the nonprofit sector or, or you know you work in the public sector for a certain period of time uh, there'll be some loan forgiveness and and I, I love to see innovative solutions like that versus the idea is like oh this this is just ballooned up out of control and now the government needs to step in and you know basically bail out bad behavior right because what's happening now is not the solution, which is basically as the cost of college increases and steps up, basically the the increase in student loan debt is just almost in lockstep. Oh yeah. If you go back to the mid to the nine, nine, late nineteen nineties to today, it it is just an escalating. It's just a straight line. Yeah. And it's scary to see that as the cost of college has gone up, the way we've been funding it is by increased student loan borrowing, and we've got to have a better solution. Than no, that. I agree. And I, I mean, so I, hopefully, like I said, this this does not manifest itself into some desperate uh, decisions because. You know, when people get desperate, um, you because you think, you know, you, you graduate school, you think you're going to get, for some reason, folks are still thinking they're going to graduate and they're going to walk right into a $60,000 a year job, but they're having to get basically, you know, starting, starting salary pay. And then it's like, well, I want to have a home or I don't want to live at home with my mom and dad, or, you know, how do I save for retirement? Everyone says save for retirement, but I, I can't do all that because I have, you know, these massive student loan debts and then I have to eat. And I have to do other things. So hopefully they'll find um, they'll find some innovative solutions. This is definitely something we're going to be keeping our eyes on, especially um, as we move into the the next political cycle. Because I think this is going to be a major, major with the millennial cohort being as large as it is. I think it's going to be a major talking point moving forward. 
Right, and I hope we don't just end up in some political standoff where we're just pointing fingers at, at each other. Oh, and come, come on, come you know we're going to point fingers. That's that's what politics is these days. All right, so another article I found that I that I that I thought was neat, and it was touching on a few things. Of course, if you're if you're on um, Twitter at all, especially fi- uh, FinTwit, Financial Twitter, uh, it's tax season right now, so we got a lot of CPAs on there, um, a lot of tax professionals, um, financial planners that are are talking through. You know, they're they're hearing people talking about the size of their refund, refund their size of their refund from the irs and apparently um a lot of people are a little bit disappointed this year because their refund isn't as large as they had anticipated it's 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 shrunk and so um you know ben carlson you know wrote a, a nice article that says what's up with my tax refund and basically the idea um that ben was putting out is that you know the tax the tax code changed so this is the first year everyone's filing under the new tax sure. code. And um, with the tax code change, um, a lot of people saw a bump in their paycheck because the withholding rates changed and a lot of employers automatically did that. So you saw um, your paycheck adjust accordingly and there was less withhold less withholding done. And so, you know, when it comes time to get the, you know, get your taxes reconciled, you didn't pay as much. So you are getting a smaller refund and people are tripping out because they're like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to get a larger refund. And I just thought it was hilarious that in this day and age, people still have not taken the time to figure out that a tax refund, that's nothing to be excited about. Well, people are, well, people are, if they're used to getting it, then they're kind of earmarking and counting it. What, what, it was really important to analyze is how much total tax did you pay? Because what the reality is, your refund may be less at the at the end of the year when you file your tax returns, but you may be getting more into your uh, bank account through each paycheck. And so, what I would ask, encourage people to do is go back and, and calculate your total tax paid under this tax right. rules versus the old tax rules and see did you really receive a benefit? Listen, some people aren't. Well, yeah, some sure. people aren't, and and there's been it's going to be interesting to see. When, you know, the state and local tax deduction caps kick in yeah. and it, it is going to have some negative effect on some higher income earners for sure. But, um, you know, for, for people who are in a, you know, a pretty uh, standard income, you're probably going to see a little bit of a less tax pay, but it doesn't mean your refund's going to be bigger. No, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think though, you know, one of the big, the big points that is being made is just that we still have a lot of folks that, you know, and I understand some people that they, they just feel like they can't save. But all 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 a refund is was the return of your money that you overpaid to the federal government throughout the year, and they're just giving it back to you as an interest free loan to the government. They're right. giving it back. Um, it's a way of forced savings, and I know a lot of people they rely on those. I've heard stories where they you know they rely on those refunds because they're they're going to pay their uh, credit cards off, or they're going to pay you know off the family vacation, or they're going to take the family vacation with that money. And to me, it's, it, it's always like, wouldn't you rather save that money throughout the year? And, you know, cause I, I would say that the majority of people, the way a lot of people pay their taxes, they're W2. So they get their paycheck mm-hmm. and the taxes are withheld from their paycheck. Well, if you're getting a massive refund, your, your paychecks throughout the year are smaller than they could be 
because you're paying more in taxes throughout the year. Wouldn't it be nicer to have a larger paycheck like hey, throughout the maybe year? That's, maybe that's a forced savings account for some people that at the end of the year they get their tax refund and well, yeah. they didn't spend it throughout. You know, it's it's possible that it's just it's harder to notice that incremental increase in a paycheck versus getting that lump that sum. Large, the the that large lump sum. So at any rate, we definitely think that one of the things that folks need to really, you know, we believe um, that you know financial education is important. We really, I really believe that um, we needed we as financial professionals. We are going to have to step up our game because you know the stuff I still see about taxes is mind blowing uh, when it comes to just pe- people don't understand even like the basics of how they work. Right. So when you read the headline says I got a lower tax refund, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You have to look at the total tax that you paid. Correct. Period. You know so. So that's it. And, you know, I mean, it's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff happening right now. I mean, obviously we're in the middle of tax season, so I'm sure we're going to see some additional stuff that comes out. But one things we one of the things we definitely want to keep our eye on are, are these student loans and, you know, how, you know, our political leaders, um, how private businesses, companies, you know, try to innovate and figure out because this, I think this is a real burden. This is going to be a real issue. And, and this is, I think the beginning to be the culmination of, years and years of you know that easy access to student loan money to go do whatever you want you know the combination of you know we talked about in some of our previous discussions where you know a four-year degree isn't really a four-year degree it's now like an average five years plus to get a four-year degree so there's a lot of factors that are playing into that And, and and you know as a lot of baby boomers retire and they go on to, you know, hopefully they go on to their retirement income plans where they aren't, they're planning to spend, but they're not planning to be crazy and they're not raising children anymore. They're not putting kids through college. You know, I think our economy is going to need some of these millennials to be consuming and spending so that the economy can still grow. And this, these student loans could be hindering that. It's going to be interesting to see what the effect is on housing and, and other consumer spending down the road. Absolutely. So anyway, thank you for tuning into the show. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and we will see you or talk to you next time.